0: Turn Up The Talk Podcast.
1: Tackling mental health together.
0: Hey everyone, and welcome to Turn Up The Talk. You're joined by Pat Clifton and Lockie Drew Morris. Unfortunately, Luke i absent again.
1: Yeah, I think he's training, isn't
0: he? Yeah, he is at training, up with the Roosters again, nearing... um. The footy season, which is pretty exciting.
1: I reckon three-peat on the cards. Yeah, hopefully for the Roosters. I like Manly this year, though. I reckon they're yeah. looking... Um, they lost that hooker that they signed. I know they signed a hooker from Newcastle. Yeah. They, that hooker they lost was
0: pretty good. And he's in jail now. Yeah, he got caught up in something. Oh. But um, yeah, I do like Manly. That was the only worry their hooker. But we'll see what happens. Mm. But I reckon the Roosters could go the 3 feet. That'd be pretty special.
1: But, yeah, crying at centre?
0: Yeah. Oh, well, they, they're they talking now we're going to get Josh Morris few terms and conditions. All the
1: people on Facebook aren't happy with that.
0: Yeah, I know. Well, they reckon we're going to get him before the June 30 deadline, which is pretty good.
1: Sombrero, sombrero. <laughs> Shut up. See, how's
0: it got the sombrero now? What about the trello? Did all right in that charity shield? Yeah, he did, didn't he? Duck at fullback.
1: I don't think he's going to do well, though.
0: Nah? Huh? <laughs> not not in the red, white and blue, eh? <laughs> Uh The sportsman's lunch, do we? Talk to Yeah, so
1: thank you for everyone that bought tickets. Unfortunately... Just due to a lot of circumstances outside of our control, we're going to have to cancel it. Uh, so if you bought a ticket, don't worry, we're not running off with your money. We'll, uh, we'll refund you. Uh, and just stay tuned. as We're going to have a, a smaller event, which will be at the Clovelli Hotel, which we're looking to do this month. So yeah, we'll get some info out when we know more. But thank you to everyone that supported us with that. So, Marky Mark. Yeah, Marky Mark. This was really cool, hey? I love this one. Yeah, this is I one of did, my favorites. I did love this one. But he, Mark Mitchell...
0: The guest we got on today was the first podcast we ever did. Uh we we've we obviously know Mark pretty well. Going to Waverley, he was a physio for a long time. I spent um
1: a bit of my fair share time at the physio beds with old Mark. But the the funny thing is we interviewed him in October and given the connection we had with him, we wanted him to be our first. And uh we did it and it was great, and then um Oh it's not name names, but it wasn't it wasn't paddle myself. Uh, we there was a bit of a stuff up with the computer and the, the file got corrupted. And I just remember the look on Mark's face because we just <laughs> told him how good it was. And then, yeah, but we got him back and what, four months later, he's a very busy man. So we're lucky to have him. And this was something, yeah. I, can't I reckon this awesome.
0: one was even better than the first one, mm. to be honest. So um, it was really interesting. So Mark Mitchell, is, he's a local within the community. He runs the e Lab Physio. He runs Advanced advanced therapies he does a lot of work obviously being a physio physically but lately he's studied psychology and taken a step into the mental side of things of not even training just your mental health and how your physical and mental health interact together so marky mark mark mitchell thanks for joining us mate how are you
2: good to be here i'm awesome thanks boys good to be back in the room again round two two. hopefully a bit luckier this time yeah it was a good chat last time but uh we'll see what comes out today (laughs) what have you been up to lately well, I mean, I don't know how many months it was since we uh, we did the last one, and you've been trying to get me in here since then, so I've been busy. I just I was thinking about that uh, just when I was coming in here, how busy my life has been, um, not being able to get back in with you boys. But uh, look, I'm busy at the moment. I've got uh, both businesses, Advanced health going strong. We've got a couple of clinics, and uh, we're charging on there. We expanded up at Bronte Road in Waverley, the old place where you guys used to come. And Elab, we've bought another Elab, so we've bought up there as well. So um, Elad's expanded into two. So expanding both of those models, which has been fun. And between that and two kids and another one on the way. Where? Yeah, one due in May. Life's pretty uh, pretty on at the moment. I'm in the red zone, but having fun. That's unreal. With, um, with Elab, where do you hope to take that? So you've sort of
1: taken a more holistic approach? With the, can you give us a bit of an insight into that?
2: Yeah, the the mentality coming into starting Elab was to create a complete shift in the model of um, care of and rehabilitation of people—a more proactive model. Um, Something we I find that therapies are generally quite passive, and we're patching people up. We get them sort of half done, and then you know they're they're out and they're still carrying around their aches and needles. And Elab was supposed to be the answer or is still intended to be the answer, to educating people on how to be well and stay well um, in a really fun environment. And so it's a gym-based setting. It's sort of like F45 run by therapists, essentially. So it's a real professional model. Um, I came into it with heaps of enthusiasm and grand goals, as we do a lot of the time, and uh, and the, the goal was to make a global business where we had uh, lots of facilities all over the world and we started to change the way that people thought about getting better and health professionals thought about um, treating and rehabilitating and uh, we're still on that path we've got two there's been a fair bit of work in it and we're we're taking a bit of a different approach we might not go into opening lots of centers Um, I'm not saying we won't do that um, but we're moving uh, in a more of a direction of education and uh, and we'll be looking more online and um, online education and modules and things like that. So, but it's it's going really well, and we've got 400 members, and uh, it's like a really fantastic community and culture, and uh, we've got an extraordinary team, and it's super fun. I love the business. It's because it's so new and dynamic, and so we're we're always brainstorming better ways to to help our members and people in the community achieve you know, their goals. And, uh, and I think I was chatted to you guys before about the way it's really evolved into something much greater than just rehabilitation of bodies. You know, it, it started as purely physical, where we were looking at, um, you know, achieving the goals that physio needs to achieve or any therapy needs to achieve. And, and, and it's expanded into this real wellness um, program and, and uh, ideology, which has been super fun. So. I'm stuck right into that, that world at the moment. So it's a really nice uh, platform for me to be able to achieve the things which I want to do with people.
0: So how do you go about that with the mental side of things? How do you handle that? Because when you think gym, you think, like you said, physical mm. physical activity, etc. Mm. How do you go about
2: the mental side of things? Yeah, well, I mean, that it's been really interesting. It's been such an organic growth into that area. I, I never... And I said this in the last talk with you guys, I never intended or never actually had felt the need to, um, to try and develop people's psyches and help them with their mental health. I didn't really feel like I had any issues myself, and so I wasn't totally engaged in that area. Um, I was super passionate about bodies and, and, and physical well being. And then it just started to happen by chance. And, you know, as all good things happen, there's like a few things start um, pointing in a direction where you, you actually don't have a decision anymore. You, you know, you, you have to follow a certain path. And I, we got to the, we were six months into Elab and I said to the boys, I'm with um, Brian Clark and Trent Langlands, I said to my business partners, all right, it's time to start marketing because what we were doing was like really different. We were trying to create a model for, a group training model for those people who were um, elite athletes all the way through, people who hadn't even walked in the gym before and had back pain for years. And so and they were in the one training groups and so it was quite tough. And so after six months, we thought we've got this, we've, we've got the model right, we know what we're doing now, we sort of know who we are. And so I said, let's get a, uh, a challenge together which allows us to market who we are and what we're doing. And, uh, and so I called it the mind, or we called it the mind and body challenge. And the mind thing was just supposed to be a bit of like mental toughness and, and um, to be able to commit to training for eight weeks and um, you know, eating good food. And I didn't think actually many people would sign up. I just, it was just a good platform to start marketing, to the point where I had no back-end systems to, to, to work and take new members on. I said to the guys, I said, look, we're probably not going to get four or five people. I was literally, in the first week, but on my way to the Mentowies surfing. So for the first 10 days of the challenge, this is how much, I, this is how many people <laughs> I thought we'd get. I booked a trip to the Mentowies, and I went off surfing with my mates. So two days before I left, and we did a Facebook Live about this the mind-body challenge, and we had a hundred calls in two days, and we literally signed up a hundred people for this mind-body challenge. And my receptionist from Advanced Health, ring me saying, Mike, what's the mind part?" I was like, "Everyone's asking what the, what the mind part is about the challenge." I said, well, it's not anything really big. It's like just about being able to, you know, um, be a bit resilient and, and, um, and commit to eight weeks of training and good diet and, and, uh, and a bit of commitment. But it sparked something in me. It was like this many people are crying out for, for some sort of help. And I, it wasn't until then I realized that there's an epidemic of, of uh, people who aren't feeling fulfilled and aren't feeling totally happy and so because then I started like talking to people about what they wanted out of it and they were you know talking about their state of mind and where they were and what we could offer them and so then I was like well I don't know anything about this and I've never really felt like I've needed to um which is crazy because now that I know what I know I wish I knew it a lot earlier because I've just changed myself so much and so the only way that I know to work is start researching and 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 reading and, and talking to people and so in the mind part, we shifted the whole thing. We, we thought we are going to work out some way to help people. And so we got uh, an epic talk by a guy called Matt Griggs, who used to help uh, Mick Fanning with, and with his meditation and mindset. Um, he'd be a great guy for you guys to talk to. He's down at Cronulla. I got him in, he did this meditation, he does this Keeley meditation. And so that was really good in terms of listening about his journey and pathway. Um, and how he's dealt with the stresses of his life and, and so he introduced the whole concept of meditation and mindfulness and, and that was quite cool and, I, and then we had another, you know, a coach come in and talk about like, you know, some coaching stuff and, and so that was great and then so we read a couple of challenges after that and it and, was uh, and along those same themes and I had started reading more and uh, and doing more um, research and started meditating and doing things and saying to... Um, unravel my own mind mind and the structure of my mind a little bit but it wasn't until I had a a guy come in the second or third challenge and uh, he came from a basis neuro-linguistic programming NLP because the other talks were great I sort of knew this, I knew that and I, I felt like it was sort of helpful and this guy came and spoke and I had no idea what he was talking about it was like it was like a foreign concept to me, the way that he spoke about the structure of the mind, and how it worked. And then I was in, I was like, oh, you gotta know, I don't know what you're talking about. And so I signed up with my wife and we went and started studying. So we studied modules of NLP and then, and then I just jumped down the rabbit hole and then I went through some more modules of that. And so through that, I, you know, I, was, I was in a relatively stressful time of my life, probably the most stressful time of my life I'm reflecting. At the time, I was just sort of just getting through, but I moved the, the physio clinic down to um, Marura which was a big deal. You know, people from Bronte don't love traveling to Mariborah. I think the most common (laughs) comment was- Who helped you move, actually? Sorry? Who helped you move? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) You're a legend. Um, And, you know, we moved there and and, and, um, so we took a bit of a downturn in the business and I was struggling, I wasn't even paying myself a wage for a while because I was trying to safeguard all my other staff. And paying them their salaries, and I'd started eLab, and you know, you know, as we come into things, we, we come into things super optimistic and thinking they're going to go faster than they do, and it was slower than what we thought. And so, I was working as hard as I ever worked, and I wasn't making any money, and and I was trying to look after a whole lot of like um, different um, people in my business um, who, um, you know, they weren't travelling as well with the move either, and so it was a really tough time. And so to um, to come into a space where I was actually learning about my perspective on things and and, and um, the framework and how my programs that I've developed were, were running me and then how I could actually take control of that and start running myself um, was extraordinary. And so through that, you know, we're we're working hard at, you know, helping people sort of expand their minds and and, and find some of those realisations as well and find that perspective as well. So been a pretty big shift um, and I've got a lot more learning to go <laughs> yeah it's a massive one and I think
1: you know like you look at the sports teams now and I think every sports team has a a, mind, a mental skills coach I know like the New South Wales Blues did stuff the All Blacks the Wallabies all have one just with Mick Fanning, can you give us an insight if you know into how he sort of incorporated, incorporated what did he use it for I know you say meditation but would he I think there's footage of him doing it on the beach before he goes into a mm-hmm. heat does he Sort of use it to just sort of relax
2: before competition. Or? Well, I can only tell you what Matt yeah. um, uh, told us about the story. So basically, Matt was looking after the Rip Curl team. Mick was one of the Rip Curl um, surfers. He he had a really bad injury. Actually, he had torn his hamstring off the bone, um, and so I think you know, and Mick's had a pretty um, colourful life. You know, he's had a whole lot of stuff go down. You know, he lost his he lost his brother when he was younger, and. And and he lost another brother too now, but he he um, he was a bit of a partier, and then he had a big injury, and then I think for the first time, um, without knowing all the details, he started getting right into training, rehabilitation, starting serious based surfing, and then he approached Matt and he said, I want to win a world title, and Matt's reflection was, well. I can't really teach you how to surf that much better. You already surf way better than you know than than, than I do and and uh, and what I can teach you. And, you, and sit. so, physically, you're really fit. You surf amazing. I think that the our leverage point is in your mind. And so they started searching together for the stuff. And so together they found um, the Keely meditation. And so Matt spent a lot of time with um, Mick on that. And to my understanding, that's basically what he's doing when he's on the beach is finding yeah. that space in his mind so that he can be um, present when he's in the water and so all he's doing is surfing um, no matter what the heat no matter what the pressure um, rather than getting caught in the movies of his mind which which end up creating um, you know uh, anxiety and stresses which cause us to underperform and so I think that's the reason why uh, We're getting, so mindful coaching is so massive in sports today. It's like, how do you leverage, like, that performance? We know that, you know, teams and individuals can train amazing and and play terribly. Um, And essentially, there's nothing wrong with their physical status. It's where their mental state is. And I've actually had the fortune of, like, talking to a lot of athletes since I've started my um, education around that, And, and it's extraordinary how... Um, the mental game plays on the performance as well.
0: You touched on he, Mick Fanning when he had that injury. You being a physio would probably see quite a few athletes come in and out. How do you see that affect them mentally? Just not obviously physically, they come in, their legs fucked and their arms fucked. Mm. But for you to see, you know, a surfer or whatever sport it may be, come in there, be cut down by injury. You kind of see
2: the negative effect it has on their mental health while yeah, working with them. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's it's huge, um, and it's from schoolboy rugby to professional. You know, like we just recently had to tell um, one of the girls who's like the best under fifteen athletics athlete in Australia that she was going to miss out on all the Aussie champs because she had a major injury. She actually dealt with it okay, but it's like it's you know it's a it's a big we we. Most athletes identify with being the athlete. And so when you take them out of those opportunities, um, it's more impacting to them than just the event. It's impacting to their self of sen- their sense of self. Um, you know, JC, I remember JC. I had to tell JC that he couldn't play in year 12. Robbie, that was one of the hardest things that I've done as a professional um, physio. When he thought he was going to get a couple of stretches for his knee and he came in and I told him he was going to miss playing first rugby for Waverley which was the pinnacle of, that's the only reason he was at school, because um, he'd broken his ACL, which, you know, I still tell his story because he proved us all wrong, he went out and played with no ACL um, which proves maybe like how powerful intent is, you know uh, passion and intent um, but yeah, it's, you know, like there's, there's a lot of athletes that go to really dark places um, in terms of um, you know, with and while having injuries or due to performances or being dropped and those sorts of things. And I work in that athletic arena and, and you know, we all see what happens to a lot of athletes when they finish their sport, right? There's, there's a loss, um, a loss of their, their identity. They don't really know who they are and they suffer a lot of um, uh, mental anguish as well. And so there's a lot to talk around that. You know, I spoke to Willie Mason recently Around those things about him retiring and other football players retiring, the difficulties that they have, Um, and so it basically comes down to um, that. That part of the subject comes down to people identifying themselves as being the athlete instead of the person. With your study, so
1: you touched a bit on it. Can you tell us a bit more about that? What was the nano? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, NLP. No, no, no. Yeah. can you t- tell us so, like, all your studying that you've done yeah. where do you hope to take it and what have you learned like, what are the key
2: points that you've learned um, well it's, it's opened my m- mind to the framework of how we, how we filter reality and the fact that we're, we're all seeing uh, we're, we're all seeing reality we're all walking around in the same place seeing completely different things and it's all based on how we've been programmed from the age of zero to seven. It's like, it's crazy. Um, and therefore, because we're seeing things and filtering things different way, we're creating a different perspective on things. And so, you know, when we're first born from zero to two, we, we live in this, mind, this brain frequency of, of delta. And essentially, we're just feeding in, and feeding out and making sense of our you know our, our reality and, and, and working out what's safe and what's not. And then we move into a state from two or seven of this theta state, which is this imagination state. Um, again it's a lower frequency than what we than what we have run as adults and and it's in those it's in those ages. It's in those relationships that we have and all those interactions that we have that we start carrying through our perceptions of, of reality as, a, as adults. And so what we don't appreciate is we keep making sense of things from, from programs that we've written back then. And so and so they, they move into our subconscious. They build into our subconscious, just like software programs into a computer. And they run, and our subconscious runs us 95% of the time. 5% the time we're making conscious thought so we're making a plan I'm going to do this today I'm going to go and study this you know making actual conscious thought about what we're going to do and everything else we do 95% of the time is our subconscious and so that's being built at an immature age and that's why things like trauma in young ages are so major I spoke to someone just recently and it's a really sad story it's a really nice kid who's um, up on um, assault charges. He's been beating like, his partner, which I totally don't condone, um, but every else. And I speak to him and I said, what's going on? I'll go through my, mind. He says, I honestly don't know. Something comes out of me and it's not me in those moments. And he's totally remorseful and he's getting punished for it at the moment. Like, through the court system, and so you know, it's a sad story for her. It's a sad story for him. It's a sad story for every for all the family. There's no winners in it. And so I spoke to his dad, and he's and he's. I said, look, how was his upbringing? he said, oh, look, it was fine. You know, he's you know, like he's, his stepmother and I got on really well. And I said, well, when, when did his mother leave? And and he said, oh, look, he wouldn't remember it. His mother left when he, when he was three years old. And I said, how was that relationship? He said really traumatic, really violent. Kids three, he's got no memory. He's got no memory of, of what happened, yet he plays out in a stimulus, in an environment where something comes back, he's playing out something he can't remember. It's encoded. So we're, we're, we're doing stuff which we have been encoded with at these young ages. And until you really coached well and brought back to those into your belief systems and the frames that run you, you don't know why you're doing things. It's like, so an example of how you, you code something would be driving a car, right? I remember when you first started driving driving a car, you'd start turning, you'd just start using the gear stick. You guys learnt, didn't no, know, not you learnt autos? You learnt autos? <laughs> All right, right, so when you said... <laughs> where you still take some of this at least, but you start changing the gears and all the next minute you're steering on the other side of the road and you can't talk because you've got steering with There's so much going on. And now we can drive from one place to another and wonder how the hell we got there. Because it's automatic. It's in your subconscious. It just runs while he's processing other things. And so, but that happens. Your, your brain, and so this is your, back to your question, one of the greatest things that I've learned, in, in, and um, in the study so far, is that we have built our brain. Our brain patterns are built. Our evolutionary, like um, necessity, we don't come out ready to fight, ready to run. We have to learn, right? That's that's our skill set. And so we're developed. Our brain path, our brain patterns in that delta and theta up till seven are built to learn and so we're just we're sucking in information making sense of the world and writing software and unless we go into our adult self and look and and are able to go back and see that that is just a program that runs us you'll run it forever that's why we keep making the same mistakes the other important thing about that is the ego is so strong in that age, especially until five so so, up till five, do you think the whole world revolves around you? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> That's why I've got th- I've got Until th- 30 and 40 yeah, yeah. Well, some <laughs> people don't develop out of that. <laughs> Literally, they don't. Say it a development, some people don't develop out of that. So, they, you get stuck in this sense of self where everything revolves around them. But we're designed like unbelievably, beautifully at that age to to think that because then we can make better connections and write better software. So don't get me wrong, most of the software we write is awesome. That's why we're still here and functioning really well, right? But the problem with it is, is everything that happens around you until that age you think happened because of you. So if your parents are fighting, you look at what you just did because you caused that if a room laughs when you do something, you write that program that this makes people laugh. They might not have been laughing at you at all. Someone else might have told the joke. So you just keep making these connections. And so then the more emotional it is, the more you you, you, you write that program into into, you, into yourself. And that's why our is are so damn important. And what we do with our kids is so, is so important. I've got like a three one-year-old and one coming along the way. And... So one thing I do feel is a little bit of stress around making sure that I'm doing a good job, but I'm very, very conscious of how I behave around them and modeling. And so I think what what's beautiful about that is, is it's allowed me to take the judgment away from everyone. This has probably been my greatest um, epiphany from it, is that I now judge myself so much less, and therefore I judge other people so much less. I catch myself sometimes in judgment, it's just a program that I run, you know, but I, I judge people so much less because they don't they don't know why they're doing what they're doing. What doing. They're doing it, they're running their subconscious, they're running against a the value, they're running a belief, a belief they've been taught. We don't make our own beliefs up yet given them, yeah? When we become really cognitive as adults we can start if we really sit back and have, have, like and have some perspective to have a look at things objectively then we can start molding our beliefs and therefore we don't have to be the same people we are now but only people who are, like have grown up enough developed enough to look in with a perspective inside and have take the time to look at themselves and look at situations and look at things that have happened they're going to be able to change themselves in the future to a better person, hopefully. So we all have the ability to change and become a person I'm really looking forward to who I'll be in 10 years. I'm I'm definitely different than what I was three years ago. I'm completely different. I'm not a person who reacts to things with stress. um, And I I don't suffer like, I don't suffer pressure and stress and anxiety like I, I used to. And I didn't think I suffered that much, but in reflection, I suffered a lot more than I needed to, and so when I see someone doing something now, I feel compassion most of the time, rather than judgment. And if I do catch myself in judgment, I try and I try and go back and and and, and look at it with a perspective from compassion, because one of the, one of the things which is true is every single action is led by positive intention. There's a positive intent behind every, everything that someone does, no, no matter how bad it is. It's, it's, you, you don't do something without wanting a positive outcome somehow, even if it is to fulfill yourself and your sense of self. But that's still positive because that's saying that you don't have that. So you've got to fulfill that. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so when you start seeing that, you start looking around, and then it's like, you know, it's, it's a completely different view of the world. Which is really crazy. And speaking about all
0: that stuff, did you a bit off topic. Mm-hmm. But now that now that you're talking about like the brain and how you did the new um, neurolinguistic thing, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. that one. Did you ever, Did you watch that Aaron Hernandez documentary on Netflix? No, I am not So he's like an NFL, he was an NFL player yeah. in his prime. Like, I just got signed for forty mil. It was him and um, he was at the Pats. Him and um, oh, who's the the guy who just retired? a couple of years ago, anyway, Gronkowski, Grun- yeah, they were like the big two, right. and during that he murdered three people, and they did a study, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. They did <laughs> a study on his brain, and they said he had so many concussions growing up that he had holes in his brain, and where the holes were, were like rash decisions, mm. um, anger, mm. like all this stuff that if you teed up next to the murders he did, they were rash decisions, they were out of anger. And it was just crazy how it all linked in, mm-hmm. into the same, like, just because of all the, obviously, like, you can't say if you didn't get the concussions, he would have done it, but if you look, if you link it up next to it, there were like five different yeah. things, I can't really remember
1: what they were, but it, it, it was just perfect to what he'd done. Yeah. Joe Williams, you know Joe Williams, yeah. he came, we had him on, when we had him on, in December, but we released it a couple of weeks ago. And he said to us that there is gonna be a massive, there's gonna be a massive sort of outbreak in information and outrage in the next few years about x plays and concussion.
2: yeah because I mean, you just we're, said we're changing radiology right, you know we're changing biochemistry mm. through through doing that and connections and and so they're showing that there's you know there's different levels of dopamine and all those really important neurotransmitters within the brain and so i mean that's changing the hardware so I was talking more about the, the software, you know, yeah. like so if you're talking about if you were born as a computer, you're born with a, a general hardware and neurology. And then, so then I was talking about building the software, which can be changed. Unfortunately, in these cases, we're changing the hardware. We're changing the, the structure. We're going into the computer and breaking cords and moving things and short wiring things. And so that's tough, you know, because it's, it's 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 harder than just talking rush rationale with people around those sorts of things because there's there's hard wire changes yeah, yeah. it's a that's a massive space right how do you go about i mean
1: you've learned this right do you try and if you've got a client do you ever try and dive into this in a way of helping better their lifestyle or is it
2: somewhere it's is it something that needs years and years of progress and help uh, well it's interesting I, so I did coaching modules um, and part of the coaching module was a six month coaching mentorship so I coached people every week as part of that and so all free um, and all pre-framed that I was still learning what I was doing and, um, Some I coached a couple of guys that you know really well um, I've coached a huge variety of people look I, th- I think um, getting really good at asking questions is um, is the key and sitting with people and giving people space and queuing um, yeah, my questions I've had some unbelievable moments and I just love it I just love sitting with people um, and it's just so raw and so open and, and people get a lot out of it there's definitely a line where if things come up where it's there's trauma and and it looks like there's something that someone needs to work through. I've said so many people through psychologists. You, know, you don't pretend I don't pretend to be a psychologist, but I enjoy having conversations to unpack the way that people are processing things and unpacking the, the framework and the belief systems and all those sorts of things. But as soon as we hit something which is is uh, like traumatic, um, then that's that's the role of a professional psychologist to do something around that. And so, yeah, I think it's great to be asking people great questions and having those conversations. And so, yeah, and, you know, my physio sessions have changed so much um, as well. You know, like we do, we unpack things. Obviously, I choose my clients. Um, and my strategies around helping people get better are so much more holistic now. You know, I use teams of different people. You know, like we haven't even gone into, like, you know, the, the, the whole world of crap food, alcohol, you know... Um, Drugs and those sorts of things, and so uh, we're like lucky, lucky enough to have a naturopath with us now, in advance, um, who looks at like getting the gut health back. And seventy percent of our happy hormones come out of our gut. Like it's crazy. Yeah, like, it's crazy. Seventy percent come out of the gut. It's not even your head. So they're talking about the gut now as like the second brain, or even like the, like I think that yeah, you know, I think they're saying there's more neurons now in the in the gut than there is in the brain and so there's such a connection in the neurology between those two Uh, and so but yet we're um, yet we expect our brain and our system to work well after big nights you know drinking alcohol I think that was one of the topics we brought up last time in the talk right where you know I had you know, we're talking about you guys and the, the trauma that you guys were experiencing within your group and you had suicides. And um, And when I grew up, I grew up the same way as you guys did. I grew up in a, you know, a relatively small town and but not, not that it really matters. I was a young teenager. I started drinking probably when I was 15 and I was thinking about it when I had that talk with you guys and I was like, I don't think I've had a week off drinking since 15. Do you know what I mean like there was, a, you know, there was a party here and a party next week, and then as you get older, it gets even worse. And university, the the space of learning is like, it's the space of boozing and partying, and, and so, and it's cool, it's heaps of fun, mate, heaps of great mates. But then it becomes, and I think Australia is classic for it too. It becomes just the culture, it becomes what you do, and and um, and so then I went from. I went from uni and then I had a party house with the boys you know, my first year out and then I went to London of all places and for two and a half years and then I spent a year and a half and I was four years in London and a year and a half in Latin America and it was just consistent and I never thought of anything different, you know, and yeah. my role model with my father was pop a bottle of wine every night and, <coughs> um, and that was normal and um, my wife and I would do the same and, and then it wasn't until I... Saw people really struggling after big nights. Then I started to really question. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I'm talking about every time they drank, three days for three days afterwards, they were questioning themselves and a different person. And people really close to me. And I thought at the time, I thought, well, you know, I'm really lucky. I don't suffer any of that. Until I stopped, and then I had time out, and then it was like a whole new Benny. Do you know what I mean? It was almost like it was my brain was working better. I was functioning really well, um, and and so then I reflected on that. And I also the other thing I really reflected on was the fact that you know I was relatively successful. I got through uni. I went overseas and worked. went with big sports teams, and and uh, and I'd done what I wanted to do. But my motivation was severely lacking, and then and my my confidence and insight into what I could possibly achieve and my motivation around that changed completely when I stopped. And so I started to see the effects of, for me at least, and the, the closest people to me who, who also um, started having some time off, it was just a really nice turning point for me to go, hey cool, this is really fun, i are gonna use it. Like, when, like, I'm still gonna go and have a good time and do yeah. nights out but I'm going to use it for that and I'm not going to be using it so I don't drink in the week anymore. I'm I'm currently on five weeks off again um, because it just is a reset for me and when I come back, I'm much better. So yeah, it's been been a great reflection. I think, And what do you do? Like, How do you advise young people now? Like, It's such a... Yeah, it's a hard balance. It's such an important... Being social is so important. Um, Parties are fun. It's where you make a lot of your great connections but... I don't I just don't think or actually know that people don't or they underestimate, they don't know or they underestimate the effect that it's having on their mind and the decisions that they're making and the decisions made when you when you're that young are pretty damn important. They start to rule where you go in your life. Yeah. And they start to reconfirm your beliefs about yourself and they start to reconfirm your limiting beliefs. And so people just start to like settle. Which is like I just that is my most like anxious, driving thought ever, is just settling. And I think that's, I think that's one, of the, uh, one of the causes of it. So, uh, I don't know, you you started taking some time out. Yeah, what's, well, I... What's your reflection? When on? I got back
0: from America, when it all kind of kicked off for me, I didn't drink for probably... I probably drank four times in six months. Mm. And that, that was just because the thought of it just freaked me out. And then I did have one big night and for three days, I was just shook, like, couldn't do anything, like, couldn't function, like, I was just a completely different person, like, I was just, it was just the worst thing ever, and, I, I, from, and then I probably didn't drink for another three months, because I was so shaken up, but I was like, holy fuck, like, what, happened ha- what happened? I just had a big night. What happened when you drank? No, nothing, just the next three days, like, hang like, it was yeah, already so what, three days. what day.
2: happened in those three days? What just, was like, my
0: anxiety was, like, to? through the roof, like, shakes, like, couldn't, yeah. didn't want to go out, like... I just locked myself in my room for three days basically, just my anxiety was through the roof, like couldn't explain it. And for me, my anxiety associates with when I feel sick I get anxious. Not sure why. So like I'm hungover, so I'm constantly sick, and then it's just my mind was going crazy and then I got through the first day and I was like, oh it's alright, tomorrow I'll be sweet. It's just a hangover and it lasted for two more days. Mm. I was like, geez, this is fucked. Yeah. So I didn't drink for three months again after that just because the thought of it was like it's not worth it at all.
1: Yeah, and so
2: it's so major for you and, and, and for other people they don't see that huge spike so it's sort of okay and other yeah. people suffer it so it's okay. And We, we talked about anxiety last time too um, and the fact that... So, so what you're saying is after you put the stuff in your body, your biochemistry changed and started triggering a different reaction in your brain because anxiety is literally just a fear of something in the future. Yeah, You can't feel anxious about the present. You can feel fear. You can feel something like primal, like fear, but you can't feel anxious. You can't feel anxious about the past. You feel sad, you feel depressed about the past, but you can't feel anxious. Anxiety lives in the future. So, you, so what you do doing, so the only way you can suffer it's not suffering the only way you do anxiety it's like a verb right it's not you don't suffer anxiety you don't have anxiety you do anxiety and so it's you playing movies in your mind that you can't see unless you stop and look at them so we're constantly running movies in our mind yeah and so the, the alcohol or the big night anything that you took on the big night out made your biochemistry change so you started running the films constantly you became your own production house and started running them and most of the time we don't even see them we just feel the state yeah. if I said to you what were you anxious about what would you have said? I, I was anxious about
0: getting anxious or that anxiety not stopping yeah so the future
2: of it not stopping yeah like when, when will this stop like what if it doesn't stop for x amount of time yeah but if I had stopped you at that moment I said, Patty, tell me exactly what you're planning in your head right now, you would come up with a movie. <laughs> you would have told me a movie. And if there's one thing that like people who are listening to your podcast, there's one thing out of it they they could do this which is just, like insane. It's like like doing this stuff and, and entering the, the framework of your mind, it's it's like, you know, the Matrix dropping the red pill and just going down and just like look seeing things like Neo seeing things completely differently. Your your listeners might be a bit young for Matrix. You watch the Matrix. No, I've been doing the Matrix. (laughs) Matrix. We had a teacher who was in the Matrix school, but no way. (laughs) He's still there. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Great movie. But um, what was I saying around that? It's, uh, so yeah, the the movies in your mind, and so the the framework in which they they work, being able to stop. So when you feel that anxiety, so if you feel that sensation like this is anxiety you are playing something in the future so stop, it's beautiful anxiety is great in the sense that it's just a, it's an emotion that can trigger you to see something that you keep running in your subconscious so it's a program you've written you know, it's a fear, it's a belief, it's something and you're running it as a movie so in that moment just stop and look and you'll see exactly what it is and if the, the more colourful it is, and the more real life it is, the more it looks like a real movie, the more your anxiety is going to be running like real, like post-traumatic stress syndrome. They like they literally think they're there. They think they're running a movie, and they think they're there. And so that's the that's the height of like insane anxiety. But the rest of the time, we're just running these movies. And so stopping and seeing that, and then my little mantra is, you know, because we still suffer feelings or we I don't like this. I smile because I take away the judgment because I think how cool is that that your brain can do that and make you do that and it's not really happening. And I smile, if I'm with people I'll just smile on the inside <laughs> and I'll say, that's not real. You debunk it. It's not real. It's not happening. But your 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 body doesn't know the difference between what's in front of you right now or what's in your mind. So if you place something in your mind, it may as well be real. You think of your partner cheating on someone, if you can really imagine that, if you can see it, picture it, your body is going to react, your heart rate's gonna go up, you're gonna start sweating, you're gonna, your your pupils will dilate. Like you will do it as if it's happening. The more real you can make it. So people who do anxiety, do that shit unbelievably well. They kill it at that.
1: I'm one of those.
2: You're one of those? Hundred percent. So stop, watch it, play it, and then and then you can write it down and you can be like, Well what was it? What was I playing? And as you write it, you'll start to see consistent things. And then you can be like, Well, what do I believe about that? And the belief will be there. You know, I believe I don't trust people. I believe I don't trust my girlfriend, for example. If you're playing the, the cheating thing. Yeah? It's like, well, where does that come from? what what, what reflection do I have on myself, have I chosen the wrong person has she proven herself that she's she's not trustworthy, or do I not have enough self worth to think that she would go off with somebody else like what's the frame behind it and if you keep asking the question about well what do I believe about that what do I believe about that you're going to get something which hits you really really powerfully and a lot of the time it comes back to self worth, maybe you don't Maybe you have conditional self-worth. Maybe you don't think enough of yourself in that situation or in general. And then you've got something to work with, right? Because if you did, if you had unconditional self-worth and you thought you are all that without being like egocentric about it, you're not going to go and think that. You're not going to think your girl's going cheating. Yeah. Or, you know, just as that, as an example. So, do you see it? <laughs> That's crazy. What am I playing? What's the consistency... And then, well, what's the belief? The belief is, I, why well, I got no trust in that? Or, you know, or it, it could be any number of things. And you'll see the belief, and then you just keep asking the question, well, where does that belief come from? How long have I run that? If you go, I've run that forever, I ask people all the time, well, you know, like, um, uh, you know, the only way to be successful is hard work. That was classic one of mine, you know. What a load of crap, how many people have been successful without working hard, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But my whole life is about working harder and harder and harder to be more successful. And so every time I catch myself doing that, I'm like, oh, you just falling back in an ear trap again. <laughs> you don't have to do this, yeah? It's actually, you're probably going to be more successful if you don't work that hard and you go back and work a little bit smarter and take more days off and read more and talk to the right people and hang out with the right people. Um, but our beliefs run us and so, and so but what that what that belief for me does just as an example is all I see is people that aren't working hard I will be my business partners and I'll be you know like just an example and my business partners are great um, they're, they're awesome if you're listening guys you're, you're amazing um, but I'll see stuff that they're maybe not doing or someone else is not doing and it emotionally affects me because what we value is all we see is that reticular activation system we talked about last time so you go on like You go to buy yourself your uh, VW or your your Mazda or whatever you guys are driving around. Hilux. Hilux. There you go. Alright, so you wanted to buy a Hilux, right? And so you you have looked at the Hilux and you've gone in and you've had a look at the shop and you've worked out the Hilux you want and then you drive out in your your old car before you buy it and you drive back home and all you fucking see is Hilux. It's, Mm -hmm. It's all you see because it's become meaningful to you, right? And so you see there's fucking Hiluxes everywhere, I never realized I'm having Hiluxes on the road. That's a reticular activation system. It's like one of the greatest things we can do. It creates our vision and a filtering system to filter in stuff which is important and meaningful to us. But the problem with that is when you value something, you, when you value respect, when you value like cleanliness, when you value work ethic, when you value, you know, trust and honorability, all you see is, if you value enough, all you see is stuff that's not. If you value cleanliness and putting stuff in the bin, you're gonna see every bit of rubbish on the road. And so you have gotta be really careful about, so your beliefs and your values drive the way you filter stuff in and see things. And so you have to be really careful not believing what you see because we can only take in like 7 to 12 pieces of information at in one time how many things are going on here now think of every sound happening in the studio the light you know, everything that you're asking there's millions of things happening and you can take 7 to 12 and that's why you can have a fight with someone and you come back a day later and you talk about the fight and go, I didn't say that yeah you did I didn't go down like that yes it did and two, and two people tell the same story and it's completely yeah. different ask them a week later it's way more different three weeks later and all they pick out is the things that are valuable to them yeah. so what I've learned is never trust yourself when people I say something and someone says no no it's like this I was like maybe it was I'm probably wrong you know, if I'm, my recollection of, of the past is totally tarnished by my filtering system and how much I can get in not to mention how we remember stuff, which is a, a different chat, but, um, yeah. Oh, that is crazy.
0: That just made so much sense. Yeah. Like, in my head, we're talking about that. You know, like, I've never really heard that perspective of it. Hmm. And yeah, so, just listening to that and thinking my own stuff is just, fuck, it just all makes sense.
2: So you but, can take the stress off, right? It doesn't have to be so fucking stressful. Yeah. Like life. Because it's your own... And so it's, it's your own filtered information. And if you take the judgment away of how you've laid down the values, the, the beliefs and the values and all that sort of stuff, if you take the judgment away, because you did most of that stuff between zero and seven, so like really, you didn't have that much control. You wouldn't go and yell at a five-year-old about the way that he's starting to see the world and his, you know, his values. You, what would you do? If you had some, like, screwed-up value, you look at the parent. No. Wouldn't you? I looked I just um, I was watching Goodsy's uh, movie the other day and it was that girl that got kicked out, she was like twelve, she you know he, he pointed out and she got kicked out, there was that massive hoo-ha around around that. And he's like, Look, he he's like, It's not her fault. It's like let's have a look at yeah. the community she's being brought up and the message mm-hmm. she's getting. And so, you know, through that it's like, well, you can't judge her. Yeah. She's just reflecting what she's been brought up with. You can't. so therefore you can't judge yourself so you take the pressure off it's pretty cool you know I went in a fight maybe I didn't you know oh I did do that again oh yeah I seem to keep doing that I'm going to try and work out why I keep doing that I'm going to work out how to write another program and not do that anymore but I'm not going to beat myself up about it yeah I mean, it's something which I just naturally do but you've got to take the time because if you can make your if you can if you can be more if you can be more conscious of your subconscious, that's the message. So we're conscious 5% of the time. So spend some time being conscious of your subconscious. And that's why meditation's so amazing. Because you're sitting there and you're trying to keep a quiet mind, but your mind keeps racing. And so you just watch it. And then you try not to hold on to anything because it's just stuff. And most of it's shit. And that's why, you know, when you try and meditate, I don't know if you guys if you do, and I'm riding right on it at the moment. Um, and it's so cool because you really get to watch your movies because you're trying to be quiet and then another thing pops in and another thing and it's just battle it's crap you know it's just but it's running programs and so but what you do get to do is you get to see the things that keep running and the things that do bother you yeah and then so then you can consciously go and unpack that stuff what do I believe about that what do I believe about that how long have I believed that I've believed that forever. Well I must have learned that when I was like between zero and five. You know, I think I believed it my whole life. I believed it before I can make memories. There wasn't a moment. Well there was a moment. There was a moment that started that belief. Well now how do I actually reflect on that moment as it like a real grown human, you know? Yeah. And with perspective. And can I look at it from a different perspective? Can I look at it with a different filter than than what I've looked at it before? You know, and that stuff's really cool. Because you just start to stop thinking you're bloody right all the time because you're not right much you're just reconfirming your, your own self yeah. beliefs it's sometimes hard though coming into a space like Joe Spencer talks about it really well and uh, he talks about the, the fact that people don't change because they don't like the space that you go to when you start to change because we don't like the unknown we'd rather be ourselves and do the same stuff over and over and over again because it's our sense of self and the risk is we go and really change the way that we react to things and do things and then we're really uncomfortable because that's not the person that we know but that's the space that you want to hit where you're like well this is different I right? think yeah. like, it's so different I would never have done that people like who are you, man? You never know. I'm like, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. rebuilding yourself. But you only do it through a conscious look at how you're running your programs.
1: Yeah, so the um, the 40-day challenge with ALO. can you give us a bit more info about that? Uh,
2: yeah, so as we talked about uh, before and, and and last time, uh, I feel like changing yourself is such a big deal. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and so, um, So what we designed last year was this 40-day challenge, and it was just 40 days to just, and it was just a habit change um, challenge or project we call it. And so we just got to choose a couple things. We had a few little rules around it about how you went about. We had a community um, come in and help each other out and and make sharings around what we were doing, and it was about, and I and I infused a lot of the education around habit change, which is start really small slowly increment and just be consistent so it's just consistency so start small, be consistent um, and uh, and then it just starts to increment and snowball and so um, making small changes over 40 days seems quite easy it might be alcohol it might be exercise, it might be patience, it might be how you structure your weight, you, yourself at work it might be getting out of bed on a, at a certain time and just seeing how those things manifest in, in becoming more powerful in yourself. And, and then being able to stack those. And so there's really great stuff. If anyone wants to get in that, there's, um, Atomic Habits by James Clear. And it's an epic book on, on, um, Habit Change. so we started that last year, um, and we're going to run it again. And it was, we had like 80 people do it last year. I'm going to try and bring it to more people through, um, sort of social stuff so australia-wide this year and that's one of the ways i want to start going more global and and create a a bit of a a shift and a change and um in people and so i'd love that to start growing um, every year to something we don't want to make any money out of it we just want to spread the word that you know like you can you can change yourself as long as you start small and and start packing and so you can have the the best life no matter how, no matter what's happened, and no matter where you are at the moment, if you start taking steps, positive steps towards change, and achievable steps towards change, you can have whatever you want. You, know, you can have any success you want. You can have any sort of happiness and fulfillment you want. And at the end of the day, like fulfillment is what we're here for, right? You know? mm-hmm. For sure. you think
0: that'll wrap us up Thanks, mate, that was incredible take two I reckon that might have been <laughs> that, was quite, that, was, that was the best one we've done yeah it's just it's just so interesting like yeah. it, it still makes sense what you're saying but I've never, a, yeah. I've never had it I've never had it put to me like that
2: it's a rabbit hole <laughs> it's, it's just a lot of sort of big concepts put in layman's terms yeah of, which is awesome can I just say I love what you guys are doing and um, and so you're doing everything that I just spoke about then you know like there was something going on and it's going on within you guys, and it's going on within your communities, and, and so consciously you've made a decision to sort of start unpacking things, and you're doing it, and so um, people are gonna get value out of it, and, and, uh, and it doesn't matter if it's one person or a million people, it's, uh, it's so worth doing, so congratulations to you guys. Thank you, thanks for joining us. My